Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe, from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week do you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. On this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast, I have the pleasure of introducing Mr. Darrell Smith to our audience. Darrell is a cool guy. He um, is doing a lot of great things for hunting in this country and putting his work to good use for us on a lot of different levels. I'm just going to try to unpack a few of those for you. So Darrell is the creator and host of the Sporting Life Notebook. That's a hunting dog podcast. You need to go check that out. He also is a writer and he has written for several major gun dog publications across the United States. He is the CEO of the Minority Outdoor Alliance, and he and his wife run this nonprofit organization out of Atlanta. Their mission is to expose and introduce minorities to this lifestyle that we all love so much, and that is hunting. The African American community is the part of our society that is in the steepest decline for involvement in hunting and fishing and other outdoor recreation activities. And why is that important? Because as hunters trying to survive in this landscape, in this current culture, the metropolitan areas are voting against us. And every time Durrell can can expose some of these metropolitan-based folks to hunting and fishing, it is a win for hunters. We are living in unprecedented times for divide and conquer tactics. 
and we see it every day. We see it on the news. We see it all around us in this world. We see it on our social media platforms, and we have to know where we can find allies and where we can find friends. And Darrell and his work with the Outdoor Minority Alliance has access to a segment of our society that we so desperately need to be supportive of our lifestyle. So this isn't a heavy conversation. We have a lot of fun. Darrell is super upbeat. You're going to enjoy this podcast. You're going to hear about old-timey stuff from the South and and how the African-American community championed bird dogs and why they did it and, and recapture some of that vision down there. But folks, you're going to enjoy this podcast. Look up the Outdoor Minority Alliance on the internet. They're easy to find. Follow the Sporting Life Notebook on social media and reach out to them, follow them, and make yourself available. They're our friends, and we need those friends today. Hey, the Old South Dog Box is rocking. Let's get the tailgate down. It's time to dump the box. Southern Hound Honey Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine that represents your lifestyle as a houndsman. If you can hunt it with a hound, it is being covered in the pages of Southern Hound Honey Magazine. You also get an in-depth look at the men and women who are engaged in this lifestyle, living it every day to the fullest. From the Rocky Mountains to the Southern Swamps and across the ocean with articles about our international houndsmen and what they're chasing across the pond. Go to southernhoundhunting.com, get your subscription for $15 a year. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine, promoting the fair chase experience. Especially on the other side, like it's, it was clear to me, right? But yeah, or in, it'll drive you nuts. Yep, that's right. That's You're right. Kind of echo and stuff like that. So it, it, I've had I, that happen before. I can't process that kind of stuff, man. My brain doesn't work fast enough to do that. <laughs> no way. Yeah. No way. No, nah, man. I'm, I'm not quick enough off to draw. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Well, hey, we have got uh, Mr. Darrell Smith of the Sporting Life Notebook. And this is part two. We kind of we yeah. kind of built this up in part one, Darrell. I uh, hope your audience is tuning in over here, and and hopefully my audience tuned in to hear part one over on your podcast. I hope but, so. But uh, Darrell, tell just introduce yourself to the Houndsman XP podcast world. Okay, so to to the to the Houndsman XP podcast world, I uh, what is it? We we come in peace um <laughs> that's right <laughs> i'm coming out of the bird dog world man um so the sporting life notebook uh the podcast and now the brand is it's grown uh over the last five and a half years now um it was originally the gun dog notebook podcast and we just we had a, a really nice expansion and rebrand but you know we are focused on I guess if I trail my story, my personal journey into bird dogs, like bringing the unlikely to the outdoors, like, and, and showing people, you know, you can kind of take an unconventional journey and get into this thing too. And I like dove in neck deep. <laughs> so, how, how old were you when you got into hunting? I was, did you grow up with it or what's the deal? No, I wouldn't call 
hunting, uh, like shooting squirrels in the backyard. I did with my granddaddy and my granddad was a postal inspector. So I learned about guns and stuff like that, like really young. Um, and, and he taught me how to shoot, but hunting came from my interest in high school. I never got a chance to do it. Went to college in Red Hills and I would see bird dog stuff kind of everywhere and didn't really get it. Um, but it was really interesting. And then I ended up finding a guy, a mentor, uh, Eric Morris. Um, he runs a show, non-traditional, um, outdoorsman now, but, um, you know, he took me under and pretty much showed me what that was like. And I was 25 when that happened. Mm -hmm. And, um, I hunted behind his Chesapeake Bay retriever. He had put some pin birds out for me. Um, and I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world, you know? And I was like, you know, and so I ended up getting my lab. I had pit bulls before bird dogs, like for a few years before that. And I was right. kind of training them and they were kind of really cool protection dogs in a, in a, in a really informal, but really well-trained kind of way. Yeah. Um, and that's just what we had down here in Atlanta. You know, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, so I got into bird dogs and then I, I messed around and got my lab and hunted him wild quail down here. That was cool. Was he a pointing lab? No, he's just a life? flushing dog. Like I just, that's what I knew that would hunt, you know? Right. Right. Um, I, I was like, if I'm going to get a hunting dog, I might as well get something I know was going to work. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a lab. And then I ended up going to like a, a year to like a year later, I ended up going to like a Publix uh, shopping center here. And and uh, I like their magazines, uh, Garden and Gun. And so I ended up just kind of flipping through that magazine, just walking through the store. And I ended up landing on the photos of my mentor now, Neil Carter, and my other mentor and friend, uh, Curtis Brooks. He actually gave me a dog. But I see these dudes and they, you know, beautiful stacked up white pointers, right? right. Like on right. the back of a tailgate. And I was like, dang, like, you know, these old school, old head black dudes, like just, just <laughs> why, you know what I'm saying? Like it was yeah. cool. I was like, dang, I want to, you know, I, I want to do that. And it was, and and the guy Erwin Greenstein was telling a story about this field trial club that's down in Thomasville. So I had to figure out who they were. Yeah, I was twenty six when this happened, and um, and that article and that journey from there made me want pointers. Um, I ended up cold calling Sincola Plantation off, off the Yellow Pages. Like I had to go. No kidding. I had to go to the Yellow Pages to get that number. And um, I couldn't find it anywhere. And if, if now, I mean, it makes sense now why I couldn't find it anywhere. But uh, I ended up calling down there Mr. Gates Kirkham. He's a good dude, you know, friend of mine. Um, now, he picked up and I was like, hey, is Mr. Neil Carter there? And he was the, the subject of, of that magazine article. And he was like, no, nah, he just retired, like, last year. And yeah. I said, but I'll give you a cell phone number, man. And so I called Neil and he picked up and was, you know how it is. Like, he was like, well, if you want to learn bird dogs, come on down. Like, right. You know, and uh, I got there and I see like 11 pointers and setters combination, mostly pointers um, in, in these kennels. And I mean, they just roaring, right? Like beautiful white dogs. So, and uh, I was just in heaven. He gave me a leash and was like, get that one right there. And I pulled that dog out of the kennel. He about yanked my arm off, man. Like, and I like that, just that, that motor, I was just like, Ooh, I like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and he showed me how to simmer that dog down and, and, uh, you know, get him pointing, you know, um, and just going through that history and learning more and more and more, you know, I figured out how deep like African-American roots are in bird dog history and really hunting dog and sporting dog history. Like it goes deep, 
especially here in America. And I was just captivated by the fact that like this field trial club had been down here and they were like running really nice dogs, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's this whole other narrative and perspective of plantation culture. But like this story hadn't been told. Well, man, tell them there's, (laughs) there's a lot to unpack here. We're only, you and I started talking what a month ago or so, Mm -hmm. you know, just on, we covered, this is the teaser and this is like the, uh, what do you call this a prequel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is the prequel for this. Yeah. Um, we started talking about another issue that we covered in your podcast. Mm-hmm. And, um, so you need to go check out the gun dog notebook or I'm sorry. I, I yeah, did, it. Like, I did everybody it. Does it. Everybody does it. Yeah. <laughs> it's because that's what I knew it as the sporting life notebook podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go check out that podcast that dropped last week we put it on our social media platforms we have advertised it if you haven't listened to it yet you need to go check it out so you know what we're talking about here so (laughs) so (laughs) there's a lot of stuff that that to unpack here but but the other thing um and we'll get to this i don't want to jump into this yet because i want to go back to something that you already said but um you also run a nonprofit organization called mm-hmm. the Outdoor Minority Alliance. Minority Outdoor Alliance. Minority. Okay. I got that messed yep, up too. Yep, yep. Everybody does it. It's all uh, good. It's man. all good. Yeah. Minority Outdoor Alliance. We two for two though. Yeah. Well, yeah, we are. It happens. I, yeah. what I, 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 so fun fact, I like messing with people with words and like when in my writing and stuff like that in magazines, um, I like twisting and distorting words. So in my head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've got a whole different, we could go on about a story that my wife's been going through this week at work doing yeah. the same thing. Yeah. And I've caught myself in it now. <laughs> so, um, the minority outdoor Alliance, we're going to get into that. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about your, your writing and, okay. uh, the things that you've done there and, and, but, but the main focus here, this is, this is why, uh, Darrell, you and I have gotten together is to collaborate because there are so many things that bird dog, bird dog owners, bird dog people do that are beneficial Mm -hmm. to houndsmen. Just because you're running a bird dog doesn't mean that, that, you know, tips about socialization, about, Mm -hmm. uh, nutrition, about exercise, about handling dogs, all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. is hand in hand because we're talking about sporting dogs here. It doesn't matter whether it's a, a, a plot hound, a, a pointer or a walker or a setter, mm-hmm. you know, there are, there are transferable skills here between both of our crowds and it's an opportunity for all us, for all of us to learn from each other. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we talk about that. Like I'm always in awe about what you guys do, right? Like, I just feel like y'all's work is totally raw. Like it's <laughs> like it's raw sometimes. You know what I'm like I can't go for me. Like my challenge, my personal challenge is like going is making sure that I getting some feedback. Um, making sure that I hunt wild birds. Like mm-hmm. that's my personal challenge. And so I get part of that comes from like me listening to interviews like Warner Glenn and stuff like that. Like you know what I'm saying in your podcast and. Right. Um, who was the dude that wrote the two tree dog encyclopedias? Um, John Wick. John Wick. I have those two books. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah. I took I took a shot at um 
having a hound dog, a little Walker hound, um, you know, long time ago. And it just, it, you know, I ended up having to uh, rehome it. Like it just, I just, I don't think I got a dog that, it was like he had the build but didn't have a bite, if that makes sense. He okay. just, he wasn't really a bred right. And I I tried to get him off of, um, tried to take a shortcut, take in take the Craigslist shortcut. Yeah. You know, and um, that one didn't work. Now, I did that with my lab, <laughs> and it worked. Right, but, right. Um, and so I ended up having to rehome that dog. But, you know, from there, I was just always really fascinated with houndsmen. Like, you know, how is it that, like, again, you can't trap a bear. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't release, you know what I'm saying? Like, you kind of have to let that dog act on its own instincts, if I'm not mistaken. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, a lot of it is the thing you've got to do is is put all the pieces together at a young age. Same way that you do same for bird uh, with bird dogs. You right. know, you socialize, you spend time with them daily, you develop the handling skills, you develop your uh, the the mentality, and and you give them exposure in baby steps to certain situations. So right. many of the things that I've learned about training hounds came from police work and from, okay. uh, I had a Chesapeake Bay retriever and, and okay. training retrievers and things like that. I was always a houndsman, but I always dabbled in other stuff. stuff. And, and so my training, uh, skills and my, you know, my skill set really didn't all start. And I don't think it's ever stopped. So don't, I hope nobody listens to this and thinks he, oh, he thinks he's arrived. I haven't, <laughs> uh, you know, it never stops, but it really didn't all start coming together until I started pulling ideas and concepts from other trainers, from other types of dogs. And I found that they worked. Right. It's, it's a, it, and that's the thing, like you have to study, you know, other trainers and, and, and their, their methods, like a big thing that I like to try to understand. And again, this is something you guys understand really well is scent conditions, right? Like, first of all, nobody's ever a scent scientist. Like you never really know what's going on in that dog's nose, but you can learn habitat and learn the habits of that dog so mm -hmm. closely that you can kind of get a sense of, of what's going on in that dog's nose. You know what I'm saying? And right. part of that is understanding, you know, wind conditions and scent conditions and, you know, having that dog be successful is, is putting him in the right spot and, you know, and using and, and letting that dog work the wind and learn, you know, work scent. That's why I'm such a big, big in the pointers and setters. I like a dog that keeps their nose up in the air, you know, um, you, bet. you know, for me, that's, that's really, that's really what we look for in hounds as well. Right. You know, uh, there's times when a dog's got to dig its, dig its nose down in there and, and find that scent wherever they can in order to trail mm -hmm. their quarry. But they've got to have enough brains that they don't keep it down there. Once they get, right. once they get it lined out, right. they've got to be able to pick that head up and go with it. And, and right. I'll give you, I'll give you an example of something that I learned. Um, you know, if you want a bird dog to, if you want to teach a bird dog to range out farther, mm -hmm. do you hunt them with their, the wind in your face or the wind in, at your back? At your back. 
at your back. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the same thing I do with coon hounds. Yep. If I want a dog to take off and really get away from me, cause a dog's nose is so amazing. You, right. It's like, it's like, um, they are, they see the things through their nose. Like we see the world through our eyes. You know, as I sit in this room and I look, I see all kinds of stuff going on around me, all different kinds of colors. A dog takes that in through their nose and processes that all in their brains. Story. Yep. So when, when we're talking about getting a dog to range out, whether it's a bird dog or a, a hound, if you'll just take a second and set your training session up or your hunting situation up, where you can make it a training session, put that wind at your back and send them out there and they'll, they will get gone because they know to use that nose. They got to do that. And, and that's the thing. And the, the other piece of that is, and like I said, I, I love it because this is the one time where it's like super appropriate for me to ping pong and nerd out a little bit. You bet. Uh, you, you know what I'm saying? So I, I love it when I like my dogs to roll, you know what I'm saying? I like them to sail. Mm-hmm. especially down here in the piney woods like it's it's uh it's thick you know what i'm saying and and but there's enough room for them to really stretch out like i got one of my dogs jug he five six hundred yard dog and a lot of people are like whoa like you know what i'm saying and he's still learning and but he you know i'm running them on wild birds first of all so any mistakes that you know, he's going to make, he's going to make on those birds, not me. It ain't got nothing to do with me. But part of that is also with a dog that runs that big, he's horseback bred, like just let him sail and trust it. You know what I'm saying? Like just let a dog use its mind. If you bred it right. And and, and if you did your homework, right? Like if you got something studied as far as genetics, pedigree and all of that stuff, then prove it by letting a dog use its head and get out as far as the country allows it to get out. Some dogs will go further than others and trust that enough interaction, exposure and engagement with birds is going to steady that dog up. And that joke will be sitting right around the corner and pointing for you. Right. You know, y'all, like I said, y'all send them dogs. Yeah. Especially the the bear guys, like (laughs) them dogs be gone. And yeah, yeah, and you just kind of got to roll with it. Competition coon hunters really expect that kind of cast. You know, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. they they should a competition dog should leave you like it's late work, late for work. And, <laughs> and I like that. I'm taking it, that. Yeah, it should be it should be leaving you on a dead run, yep. and and just casting out into the dark to search for that scent. Whereas a bear dog, we do free cast bear dogs and things like that. But a lot of times it comes off a rig strike. We've got a track in the, on the side of the road and, and we're sending that dog on a track and letting them take it and drive on. But, um, one of the things I want to ask you about, you, yeah. you talk a lot about wild birds versus planted birds or pen raised birds. And mm-hmm. do you do the majority of your training? Uh, and I, I hate to even say, I feel like every time I go out to hunt, Mm-hmm. there is training involved you know All a dog time. a dog never okay. stops yeah absolutely you know just a polish here a polish there just a nudge here but mm-hmm. um as you are developing this young dog you're using wild birds briar creek kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter boots lights collars and tracking equipment 
dog boxes, kennel supplies, collars, clothes, squalors. Whew, they have it all. Briar Creek Kennel is a Garmin and dog tree dealer. Owner Chris Girth will ensure Briar Creek Kennel customers will get top of the industry customer service. Whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event, Chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer. Chris Girth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. A combination, yeah. And more that than I am pen birds. Like, I don't, yeah. first of all, I don't really like keeping pen birds like that because everything in the world be trying to get into the cage. And that's enough of a hassle. So if I can use them and be done with them, I'm really happy. Right. But with a young dog at about three months, I just let them run around and, and I'll just, I'll take a quail. Like, I think a pigeon is just too much for a dog that age. Some dogs are bold about it and some just aren't. And so I kind of don't risk it and I hunt quail anyway. So why not just put a quail out there, a pen raised one. Mm-hmm. Um, you can pull some of the flight feathers out of it. So it can't really go anywhere, you know, fly up 10, 15 yards and land. And then you just let that puppy try to catch that bird and build up that drive. That is a controlled situation where you want to find out what that dog, you know, is going to do about pointing what he looks like potentially and all of that. Well, once I start seeing that dog pointing consistently and like snapping into it and jamming into it, it'll take either a, a month or two to really like get them into that. And then by then they're kind of, their legs are a little bit longer too, and they can start rolling a bit. I start putting in when I can also appropriate to the season, you know, if the timing is right, cause I got to mm-hmm. be mindful. Like nobody's running wild birds 24 seven. So when the season is right and and I see that young dog starting to lock up on me, you know, as far as pointing a little pin bird and some of them birds, I don't even pull the feathers. I just let them fly off. Right. And I, you know, after a while, I'll just start running them on wild birds and letting them run off, get out however big they want to run, make all the mistakes, like let that young dog screw up. And the Mm -hmm. best place to screw up is on wild birds. You know what I'm saying? Because it takes the man-made element out of the interaction. And see a young dog, you keep doing that. And it takes time, especially down here in Georgia. Like, it ain't like I'm just in flooded in wild birds either. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, but I know where they are. And I've spent a lot of time finding them. A lot of time finding Mm -hmm. them. And so I feel pretty confident about going about it this way. Um, and then some of the other areas that I run my dog that are private also have wild birds. So again, it's a little bit of opportunity there, but I'll run my young dog on wild birds and just let them keep messing up and keep messing up and keep messing up. Eventually that dog is going to get tired of doing it himself and is going to wait for me to come in and get those birds up. And when you're talking about messing up, you're talking about breaking point. You're talking yeah, about flushing you before you get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a dog see, is going to go ahead. No, I was just going to say, man, I, when you start talking about this, I hope, hope people understand the reason I've got you on here is so we can draw those parallels between mm-hmm. what you y'all are doing and what we do um, and, and have takeaways there and get that validation that it's yeah. not, it's not something that is 
exclusively hound or exclusively bird dog, we're talking the same language here because we are, right. it's incre you when, mentioned it was incremental earlier. Like ours is incremental. Yep. So we start our hounds off the same way and then we put them out there on wild game. That's the best way you might get them started. You might get them locked in. You might see what kind of prey drive they have on captive game, but eventually where the rubber meets the road and where you really make that, uh, the true end rows and develop a dog is with wild game. And, and we see, right. do you see bird dog guys overdoing it on pin rays and captive birds? Oh yeah. Oh man. And I'm guilty. I, again, I'm guilty of, of doing it once with my lead dog Vegas. And you also got to remember, we also have, you know how it is. You have some dogs that you can usually that first one that was probably oh yeah. so good and became that good. Dog tree. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> there's they're that they're good in spite of your mistakes. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I did that a lot with my first dog, and he's since come out of it. You know, he's older and, and I don't worry about it anymore. But you know, putting on putting running running them on too many pen birds, and it's like preserve hunts, and it's fun. You get to shoot, your dog's retrieving, and you see all these points, you can take a picture of it and all kinds of stuff like that. And it's controlled, you know. What I'm saying you can kind of you and even with training you know, you, you know what you're getting when you're doing that and, and you do that a lot. But what happens is that dog is eventually going to start figuring out that this is really not the game. If it's hunting, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? If it's hunting wild birds and you keep overdoing it with pen birds and what happened, I was doing that and going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth a lot. And my dog actually, his point got way less intense on pen birds. He's kind of like that now, honestly, like he'll point, for the most part, pretty well. But if I, even if I run them on too many now, Vegas, he'd kind of be like, all right, dude, like what's next? Yeah. They, get bored, they get bored with it. They get bored with it. I don't think we understand. A lot of times we overlook as trainers, we overlook that a, that a dog can get bored with what they do. Mm -hmm. And, um, they're I, always looking for that next challenge. That's what gets a dog to point is, a dog not being bored with game and running and trying, you're taking a dog with intense prey drive and trying to kill it. Essentially you're, you're having that dog essentially it where it would be creeping to then pounce on game. Mm -hmm. You're just having to stop. Right. But that dog, the reason is pointing so intensely like that, that style is because it absolutely loves its job, but is not dumb enough to move and, see them birds fly away do you think a bird dog um can you compare that to like a hound treeing? i i yeah. believe that that a hound that trees gets an endorphin dump and mm -hmm. uh they get th that is their it's bred into them it's genetic but but they go into another zone mm -hmm. at that point um I don't care whether it's treeing or it's, or it's pointing. That is, there's just a, a debate about recessive traits and recessive mm -hmm. genes. And somewhere along the line, pointing birds or barking up a tree is a recessive trait that was capitalized on. Right. And right. because that didn't come from wolves, wolves don't stop. They don't no, point. They don't. They'll and, stalk but they're not going to point. Yeah. They don't get up on their prey and think, <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop and point. 
right or and and they're not going to tree either mm -hmm. so they, there's there's I another parallel yeah you just keep moving yeah uh, yeah. open on on track wolves don't open on track when they're when they're hunting the wild like canines you, don't if you want some skinny wolves <laughs> <laughs> you open right on up out there in the wild if you want to <laughs> <laughs> you bet but you bet i i agree it is a recessive trait and i've said that and i pretty much live by that that's and that's another reason why i really don't i don't think I, it's, it's i don't think it is now on our current breeds but at one point it was i what as far as the re the, the recessive trait it's a the dominant recessive. trait now, yeah we yeah. just capitalized yeah. on a recessive trait right. absolutely we just repeated it so many times to mm -hmm. get the dog to point to get the dog to tree um i think it gives a dog on point a high that's why i really don't care that that's much what for i wanted to know yeah like i think that a dog on point is at its absolute like adrenaline or dopamine whatever that is like raging through his body um and so for me, catch this, for field trialing and for guided hunts, and I just run a flushing dog and a retrieve a retrieving dog so I can keep my pointers on point. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a tradition down here too. Well, what happens is that dog, in my opinion, okay, you know, that dog doesn't actually have a taste of a bird in its mouth. So the last exciting thing for it is being on point. You see what I'm saying? And so you get a you can really you can see the wheels turning over in. here. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and this is something that I think, but like the last if a dog doesn't have a bird in his mouth, think about it. Like, if you're a predator, the end goal is to have a bird in your mouth, right? Mm -hmm. But as you're approaching something, I'm thinking that, like, look, that dog, just like you kind of waiting on the big game, right? Like, you kind of like it's the buildup. Well, what happens if we pause a dog in the absolute climax of that buildup when it stops and we just break that dog to stop right there you know what i'm saying like to me that's when it's like super pretty right like that's me, when you get that dog on style let me let me let me break let me circle back around here and make sure i'm picking up what you're putting down on this so <laughs> you're running a a retriever separate from your bird dogs Yes. Okay. So let's just try to get a ballpark here. You've got you've got a three year old or a four year old dog uh, pointer that is mm -hmm. consistent in pointing birds, and you're mm -hmm. out there and you're hunting with a retriever. How often? I usually does... run two dogs at a time, two pointers in a lab at at a time. Okay. So yep. so taking that scenario, your dogs point, your lab retrieves. How often do the pointers get a bird in their mouth? Out of 10 times, two. Two times. And and that's two. And I say, and I'm saying that because I don't let my dogs retrieve, but um Vegas, because he's just he was just a natural retriever anyway. Like as mm -hmm. a puppy, he just kind of would walk around with sticks and stuff in his mouth. Um I kind of just let him like, eh, you know, go for it. Mm -hmm. um, Jughead, the other dog that I run with Vegas, <laughs> <laughs> everybody likes that name. Um, but that's my big boy. And he was gifted to me by Curtis, who I mentioned earlier. But um, Jughead, I don't let retrieve. Mm -hmm. um, I got, and this is what's weird. Consistently, I do not let my dogs retrieve. Now, I ran Jug. Um, once without my lab i was just 
you know, working them. Cause I believe you got to work dogs separate and dogs, you know, together. Like it's, it's a trade-off. And, um, we, I was actually wild bird hunting them. Matter of fact, and it was just my, it was him and, um, my buddy's pointer and his monster lander, but those dogs were elsewhere doing something else. And Jug ended up going on point wild bird flushes. And I kind of turned, I wasn't even expecting it. And I was actually trying to, to toot my own horn i was trying to take a picture of the dog actually mm-hmm. and just kind of threw a hail mary shot up there shot the bird um and it falls down hits the ground uh and runs into a hole mm. you know um and tries to die in a hole well jug and i don't practice with this dog at retrieving at all he sees the bird he stops it like he's still on point sees it and something in his brain just is like go get it and I think he saw that dog, that bird running a hole and might have known that I didn't, I didn't see that. Yeah. And he yeah. breaks point and digs that bird out of the hole, gets it, retrieves it, brings it to me by hand. And I've never worked with that dog on retrieval. Just a natural thing. Yes. Uh, it that's, was, that, uh, it's time to draw a parallel again, because mm-hmm. in a, it, I see the debate rage at times about, um, you know, let's take coon hounds for instance. How often should I uh, knock knock coons out to my dog, my young dog? Mm-hmm. And the reason you are not allowing dogs to retrieve, your pointers to retrieve, is because you think it ramps up their, their prey point. drive. It ramps yeah. up their point. Mm-hmm. I've seen the same thing in hounds. I really mm-hmm. have. You take... <laughs> If you start, if you start my own experience here and somebody's going to argue with me, but this is based on my experience watching if, if my dogs will tree, they'll, they'll get sloppy Mm -hmm. around the tree. They'll get sloppy on locating. If the only, uh, their form of reward is by getting fur in their mouth. Right. If, if my dogs are much more accurate into the go, you know, into the spring when our, our hunting seasons are out and training seasons are in where I can't shoot as many coon and and things like that. They actually tighten up and they want to be more accurate. And, and I believe that it just like you, that the dog that is bred properly self rewards by tree. Yep. And, And we can overdo it. And I'm sure false points and things like that are common. Yeah, I in mean, the- it happens. And it, a puppy's false point, dude. A, a good dog false points. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, they all do it. To, for anybody to say, now you have certain dogs that they have certain traits that make it a little less questionable whether there's a bird there or not. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and that's a part of getting to know your dog, putting your hands on your dog and, and no, I got six of them and I know each and every last one of them little jokers quirks. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Um, you know, with Vegas, like, and this is a thing that would, that to them, to most people, particularly in competition. And I had to figure this out. To, uh, it took me a while to figure this out. Like when he was point, he would point birds. If birds were running, which they do a lot of the times before they fly, mm-hmm. he would flag on point. Like he wouldn't tense up. And then I would tap him on the head. He would, you know, relocate, creep a little bit forward, t- tight, 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 flag again. Those birds were still running. 
Tap him on the head again, and he'll keep relocating. And when he's got him pinned, he'll boop, jam up. And it's like, but Jug don't do that. When he points, he's just on point. It, I mean, it's it's just what it is. But what he is doing, if birds are running, he'll block for me. Like he's starting to basically, if it, like if I've got a hedgerow right here in front of me to my left side, and, I'm, and we're walking down, right? And and it's some a covey of quail running in there. Well, he'll basically go point like perpendicular to him. Mm-hmm. And if they run again, he'll break that point, relocate point again, and basically block and stay a little bit ahead of him. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. And he's starting to learn how to do that. But that's that's a wild bird thing. That's something that right. You know what I'm saying? Like a dog just develops its own quirks on birds right mm-hmm. it, you, it's got its own kind of algebra going on right right <laughs> i think we i think i think we've drawn a really good parallel here I think so. <laughs> uh between bird dogs and what you guys deal with in bird dogs and and what we deal with in hounds and uh i want to kind of shift gears a little bit because we've got a lot like i said we got a lot to unpack here but yep. uh Tell our audience what you're doing with your organization, your nonprofit, the the Minority Outdoor Alliance. That's <laughs> well. Thank you for um, letting me chat a bit about the uh, Minority Outdoor Alliance. But what we are doing, what our goal is, is expanding the narrative of the outdoors through education, engagement, and media. Um, to form a multicultural community, right? Of, that, of, that wasn't very that wasn't a very smooth transition either, was it? <laughs> uh-huh. Look, it, it was. It, I like it. It was cool. Okay, all right, all right. Because <laughs> I, I I got when you talk about a lot to unpack, I can unpack Minority Outdoor Alliance. So, um, you know, it's it's just one of those things. I want to form a multicultural community of like really dope, lifelong outdoor professionals mm-hmm. you know in various capacities i uh i w- the way that we have it we built minority Out- outdoor alliance or we founded it rather me myself and my wife uh ashley when george floyd was murdered in 2020 mm-hmm. and we had had at the time the gun dog notebook and that was doing really well and we were partnered with uh uh, uh project upland and they gave basically gave me a platform to talk a bit about you know my thoughts on policing and, and law enforcement and things like that and that whole scenario that was there but my take was policing in the outdoors and so that became its own deeper conversation there was a whole podcast for that well we got really good feedback off of the live stream that we had done mm-hmm. And, you know, Project Upland was like, wow. And we had ended up getting a lot of support just for people understanding that, like, the history of the outdoors has very much so deliberately and intentionally excluded African-Americans. But yet, as a culture, we are inherently connected to the outdoors. And and so I wanted people to understand that, and it was not an. In, in what way? In what way? You say you say inherently well, connected. So to the outdoors. when got, when 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 black folks got brought here from 
from Africa, particularly West Africa, like let's start with South Carolina because, uh, you know, I'm going to South Carolina soon anyway. Charleston, like the whole Geechee culture and all of that stuff, that was South American slaves that were brought over here and they were brought here to basically um, cultivate the South American landscape because they had the knowledge to do so somehow and they could actually withstand the conditions and things like that. So we were always outdoors mm-hmm. and we were always learning the landscape. Like my other comparison, and I wrote an article on this um, on the Minority Outdoor Alliance um, website, you know, think about Harriet Tubman, like that lady would have had to have known the outdoors to make that trip the Underground Railroad from Macon to Nova Scotia as many times as she did. You know, you knew the outdoors. We've always been connected there, even with bird dogs. Like the thing that the, the, the folks that got me in the bird dog history, their story hadn't been told. And we're talking about hundreds of years of, of just outdoor interaction and eventually being put in a situation where we either had to learn, you know, how to raise and train and break horses and dogs because it was it was it was better employment you know during the the the, the days of the plantation like mm-hmm. the the early days and that was a thing of pride so like we've always had you know you you got the first uh Kentucky Derby jo- uh winner i think his jockey was black you know I didn't so we, know that. We, yeah if i'm not mistaken he was black mhm well the the thing that uh, this is what i wanted to tap into i think American culture, by default, when they start thinking about bird hunting in the South, you know, they see the the white man with a dog and his shotgun, mm-hmm. and that is the connection that most people make. When mm-hmm. in reality, you know, the plantation There's- the plantation owner or the plan, the, the, the farmers and their friends were coming down and taking dogs that black people were taking care of mm-hmm. and training. They were, mm-hmm. is that, is that accurate? Yeah. So it was, it was a thing of when you worked on a plantation down here, you know, there was specialized labor, right? Mm-hmm. Like there was a specialized skill set, and that was kennel management habitat management you know what i'm saying and 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 being a kennel master like the mm-hmm. dog man and that was you know it wasn't it, it it was a job above you know picking cotton right like you were a man mm-hmm. and you know even i've got a book um here about uh pebble hill plantation matter of fact and they talk about this guy named uh i think it was mac mcqueen I'm not mistaken. His name was Mac McQueen and, and, and it's real life accounts of living on Pebble Hill plantation. Mm-hmm. And Mac McQueen was the, was that dude. Like <laughs> he was the dog man, right? you know, and he trained hounds, he trained bird dogs and you know what I'm saying? For, for, and like, that was, that was the thing. I mean, I can go back to like 1860 to 1880 with Charlie young. That's the furthest back you know, African-American man that I know that like got introduced to training bird dogs when plantations had just come into like the plantation culture, as we know, it had just come into Thomasville, Georgia. Right. And like, 
you know, he was seeing that and he had gotten a job as a dog man for one of these plantations. And he had made the trip from, this you is, know, here. This, this is post post emancipation. Is what this is talking. 1860. Yeah. Right around that time. Post emancipation. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, and so he had gotten that job and it was cool. He was like, man, this is, you know, he was going out to King Ranch and stuff like that. He was just like, man, this job working dogs got me off of the plantation and traveling the world like mm -hmm. dang houndsman xp is very proud of our partnership with the organization freedom hunters freedom hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes america's veterans hunting from field to field from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take america's warriors hunting with you and your hounds it's easy Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab, and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to houndsmanxp.com, and you can find them on our website from field to field. Check out Rough Cut Company at roughcutcompany.com. Here's how easy it is. You take pictures. You go to their website. You upload those pictures. They laser engrave those memories onto native hardwood, and it's a beautiful piece. I just had one made for my wife for our anniversary, and uh, the detail, the quality, the finish, Everything about this piece is heirloom quality. This piece will be in our house for a long time. Go to roughcutcompany.com and at checkout, enter the promo code HXP 10% off and you will get 10% off of your next order. Check them out. And so it was a thing of pride, right? Like, and so the, then you have some of the greatest scouts in, in field trial history here, you know, black man, ran pet Kelly, uh, David Johnson. Now, um, you got handlers now, um, you know, that Mike Hester, you know, he's my buddy now in, in there. And I'm talking about on the big boy circuit, like the, the, the all age circuit, like yeah. we've been, you know what I'm saying? Like very present in there. And man, Rand was one of the greatest dog men, hands down, anybody. would. And I got like old black and white photos of him, like working dogs. And that was in Alabama. Like when you come down here to the South and the Southeast, we have a, just a very rich culture of black dog men that just, just knew a dog. You know, that was, that was, it was, it was a really good job, but it was a job that you didn't want to lose. And so based on that pressure and, 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 and a good amount of that ad adversity, they got really good at training dogs. <laughs> right. Right. I I, and that's lost. I mean, that's lost on the hunting culture, you know, from where I sit, you know, mm -hmm. I, 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 I just don't, I, it's, I've never drawn the connection there. And then mm -hmm. since I've gotten more into it and, and studying, history and talking to you and talking to some other people, I've realized how rich that heritage and culture is. And so through, through the organization, based on that information that you have, 
what have you seen uh, that needs to be done? Why, why start an organization? Why, why have you done it? I mean, why, why are you doing all that? So a couple of reasons. Number one, um, because voice and storytelling and authentic representation matter. Like, let's start there. Mm -hmm. The, you know, the reception that we got from our film, uh, dog men that we did in partnership with onyx like that that history it's stuff like that that the general public mostly didn't know about and if so had kind of looked over right so mm -hmm. it's giving voice and the reception to that voice has been resounding right but then you know the other piece is there is no minority focused um conservation organization out there for the outdoors and we want to build and introduce new minority leadership to you know legislation and conservation policy okay we need more black and brown people at the table so let me ask yeah. you that let me ask you the obvious question that people are probably sitting there why not just why not just get involved in existing conservation organizations well we want to partner with existing conservation organizations but i mean i mean i mean why why can't a uh uh person from the minority community just get involved oh. in 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 the organizations that are already out there you can i'm a member of pheasants and quail forever right like I, i'm rgs i'm a member of all of that mm -hmm. but those organizations are not focused on bringing those conversations to minorities we want to keep the we as an organization want to ensure that there's a clear and consistent focus on you know, bringing, bringing, bringing us all together, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what so. I want. That's, that's that layer <laughs> I wanted to peel back and get to so that we understand that I am probably not going to be real effective if I go into urban Cincinnati up here and, and try to recruit new hunters. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if I go to an expo up there, that's for, that's a, um, uh, targeted, their targeted audience is the African-American in the urban urban centers. I'm not going to be effective like Jarrell Smith can. Right. It's, it's just literally about understanding that it's understanding approach, right. Mm -hmm. In in space, in, in, in space, like. I tell people all the time and I, and as much as I love Nike shoes and I love Jordans and stuff, you know, wish I had another, a, a pair right now, but probably wish you had a pair of those original ones right now. As right. Much as <laughs> right. Like yeah. I would really love one of those, yeah. but I wish I'd have put know, those Nike on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. You'll be a rich man right now. A very rich man. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's a, it's about representation and spotlight, right? Like, Nike sold those Jordans, yes. But Michael Jordan sold those Jordans. You see what I'm saying? Like, people saw something in themselves through Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. And in and, and Minority Outdoor Alliance, we want to bring that to the forefront, mm -hmm. right? That's the thing that differentiates us. Like, we want to be, we, we're, we're going to be very intentional about giving voice, active voice in different platforms and different mediums and 
you know, all of that stuff to make sure that people understand the impact that, you know, all of us as a collective culture, you know, the impact that we have on, on, on the hunting landscape, right. The fishing landscape, like the North American model of conservation is preserved when all hands are on deck. Good. Not just white guys. (laughs) <laughs> well, just white guy you know and I, absolutely and i i've made that point i've made that point in in our conversation that you aired people in the urban centers are going to outvote rural america it's we see it we've seen it never seen it in every election uh um, right. we've seen com, uh, entire states be swung based on um uh, the the urban vote the urban center vote so right. why wouldn't I want to expand hunting into the urban centers? You know, it's right. There's so many things that we can do that bring real value to people that, that is showcased and, and augmented with hunting. And so mm-hmm. it's important for our own survival to find those paths to, expand our circles of influence, get out of our echo chambers and be inclusive in what we're doing. Absolutely. I mean, that is how we keep these traditions alive. Like, and the thing is the histories are already there. They don't have to be separate, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, cause your, your history doesn't have to be separate from my, it can just be an extension. Like you and I know each other. I would hope that, one day you come down here in Georgia and like, let me show showcase my traditions and my cultures and my histories and stuff like that to you. As you come down here, like this is an alliance through the minority outdoor Alliance. Like what's important to you is important to me. And we're going to figure out how to work together. You know, we're, we're working with, you know, pheasants forever. Yeah. You know, we're working with TRCP. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to partner. We're working with, you can a sporting dog. Like, Onyx hunt, like, you know, Georgia power, uh, um, um, Benjamin knife company, like all of, you know, all of the people that I love working with Orvis, like all of these people have, have, have come forth and say, like, we want to help continue sharing that narrative. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the dope part is the, the idea that we're not a monolith either. Like as an organization, we are not acting as a monolith. Explain what you mean by that. Put it this way, like my hope is that one day, because we've done such a good job, like in con- in bringing the the conversation of of conservation to minority communities, black and brown communities, that like my hope is that we have to then shift what minorities mean and and solve that problem, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're no longer talking about racial and ethnic you know, differences or, or bringing that to the forefront. We're now talking about war veterans. We're now talking about, um, um, shoot deaf people. We're, we're now talking, you see what I'm saying? Like we want to, that was going to be my next question was, you know, you talked about history. How do we, how do we keep from tripping over the history to, we, to, to bring these communities together? You know, how do we get, how do we make it where somebody from your organization um, and and feels well, 
I'm trying to pick my words here. Um, <laughs> feels feels comfortable with going on a hound hunting adventure. And how do yeah. I get somebody from my circle of influence that feels comfortable going bird hunting um, with Jarrell Smith? You and I hunt together. That's right. And show people that it's cool. Like, come on over here. You know, if you want to hunt with me, come hunt with me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you want to hunt with any of the folks in our organization, first of all, we we formed our organization, you know, as far as uh, ethnic backgrounds and, and things like that. Like, we have a, a diverse array of, of board members, you know, in our organization mm -hmm. intentionally because we hope that one day America will look like that, like in the hunting community, in the fishing community. And we're always going to assume positive intent. So when I, you know, when, when, when folks from our communities come to hunt camp, you know, they know that, you know, the minority outdoor Alliance, this is a partnership thing with, with Chris Powell and, and the houndsman XP. We, you know, there's that trust there. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. They, you know, people from, from black and brown communities know that when we work together, Chris Powell is a trusted man. You know what I'm saying? And, and that it, it happens when, again, going back to representation, podcasts like this happen, right? You bet. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're working together in various capacities and people can see that. Right. Right. And that trust there is built. Yeah. And, and one of those, one of those things I was just, I wasn't texting while we're, while we're, you were talking there, I was actually looking something up. We'd referenced <laughs> it in the, uh, your episode on the, on the sporting life notebook, but the, the declining numbers in the black community, uh, that are taking up honey mm -hmm. and, uh, how alarming that is, but, but let's lay that out because not everybody's read the article, but why is it alarming? Why is that alarming? It, why is the article alarming or why is the declining numbers the declining, alarming? declining numbers alarming because it doesn't it, the declining ugh, let me get my words right um it's alarming because we were already at like something like eight percent like it was really low right. anyway right right mm -hmm. um and it's alarming because you know does does habitat you know, management and wildlife, like the conservation piece, not alarm us already. Exactly. Well, to me, if I'm losing a certain demographic already, whose dollars and cents are going into conservation, now I'm lo I'm losing money. That's alarming to me. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's not to monetize, you know, groups. But what I'm saying is, if first of all, if you're hunting and fishing, you should be donating and putting your time and energy and money into a conservation organization and things like mm -hmm. that. First of all, that's anybody. And so to the, to the, you know, to the um, black and brown communities that are engaged in conservation organizations, not having that again, loses, we lose money. We lose memberships. You know, we lose, we lose ground. Uh, and then on top of that, not having a declining number of African-American people in hunting we're losing our tradition and history and your own community from 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 you looking at your own community saying hey we don't need to give this up we got a rich heritage here let's right. not give this up so i like what you said 
especially, you know, North American model for wildlife conservation, it's all hands on deck. At this Mm -hmm. point in our history as hunters, we can't afford to lose anybody and we need to be finding people. We need to be recruiting people. We need to be, you know, and, and we can't afford to lose anybody. Declining numbers in any demographic should be alarming. We've seen it. We've seen the good thing about COVID Mm -hmm. was it pushed those numbers up. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, we saw a 33% increase, uh, roughly 33% increase on license sales and things like that. But um, we've got to start having these kind of conversations. And you're right, Jarrell, you and I need to go hunting. We need, (laughs) we need to, that's the first thing we need to go hunting. Uh, yes, <laughs> come uh, see these crazy dogs like that. That's right. Man. That's right. And I'll bring some coon dogs and and come on yeah. down here. You know we got them. Yeah. So. Yeah. And uh, but the other thing is we've we've got to start we've got to start having these conversations. You know, it really is important. It was, you know, it's something that I think is just you know at the forefront and the the the, the tip of the spear is you know, activity and engagement, right? Like having people aware of what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's what I mean. We, in order for us to make, you know, conservation policy and legislation that suits everyone, if we're talking about public lands now, this is everybody. Well, we got to have more, more of everybody at the table because those decisions like, certain things may affect green spaces in African-American communities Mm -hmm. or may not affect them and aren't even being considered. Right. And so what happens when, again, you're not doing the work in, you know, where the people are at. And I understand, you know, focusing on, on more rural areas and things like that. But again, like what happens when people, it's just a lost opportunity is where I'm going. I agree. It's a lost opportunity. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, having conversations like this stretch my brain, they make me think, they make me look at what is possible. And so at, at within, you mentioned something about a seminar, a convention that your organization does. Yep. So Every year, and we haven't gotten the dates for it this year yet, um, but, you know, last year um, and every year going forward, we put on the Minority Outdoor Alliance Festival. And last year it was at uh, Orvis Purcell Farms in uh, Sylacauga, Alabama mm-hmm. in October. Man, you talk about a ball. We had a good time. We had a good time. It was, it's all again, bringing the unlikely to the outdoors. We had a great turnout, man. We had you know, folks from all kind of backgrounds coming in. Did right? you have any houndsmen there? Actually, we did. did we had my buddies Delvin, uh, uh, um, Anthony, no, like we had them. The guy, the Just Hounds guys, the uh, their oh, yeah. account is Just Hounds SSW. That's right. Yeah, man. Like you know, so those are my buddies. So they came uh-huh. down and uh, hung out with us. Yep. And so again, we had the houndsmen in support. <laughs> yeah. And I and and somehow it's funny when I came back home, I ended up having that uh, what is it, Southern Hound Magazine? Yeah, Southern Hound Hunting. 
Yeah. Yeah. I ended up with that magazine and they were in it. I was like, huh? Yeah. Okay. So now I'm a subscriber to that magazine. Great. Actually. Great. <laughs> so they're um, one of our, I don't, they're one of our sponsors. So I'm glad you mentioned them. Really? They, yeah. They oh. sponsor us and, and I write for the magazine. Yeah. Well, that's dope. Yeah. So I'll, I, I just recently got a subscription, but like, um, yeah, I ended up with a magazine. I was like, oh, this is cool. I don't know if they sent it to me or something like that. Cause I know Delvin was in it at a point. Right. Um, but yeah, man, they came down and, and at the minority outdoor Alliance festival, um, we, it was, it was sponsored and presented by Yukonuba. Um, so they did an entire presentation matter of fact on performance dog, um, uh, uh, nutrition and high and, and, uh, conditioning. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Russ Kelly was there and did a phenomenal job per usual, um, I did a bird dog demo with my mentor, uh, Neil Carter, matter of fact, and that went well and just teaching folks, you know, how to run a dog and things like that. Then we had some fly fishing demos, wild game cooking, um, and just a general good time. Um, we had a clays tournament. What else did we do, man? It was so much going on and I was running around. Um, it was just a good time. That's the general gist of everything that we had going on. We presented our scholarship. Yeah. So, so you, you're you know, giving away scholarships and things like that as well. Yeah. So we, it was my idea and I, and I, I'd always wanted to make sure that I broke down through my work and through my efforts, I had broke down, um, the barriers for someone else coming in. You know, I spent a lot of money on bird dog stuff and didn't know any better. You know, I had dogs that I have, you know, seen that weren't really all that good. You see what I'm saying? Yep. And just knowing, and, and it's no shade on anybody's dog, but like people don't know what to look for <laughs> when they're coming. Like they just don't, yeah. right? right? And then you get upset that you got a dog that don't point. But then also like I wanted to bring someone in who was college age and basically say, look, here's the keys to the Lambo. Like, let me teach you how to basically build your own platform and do what I did through my platforms, mm -hmm. how to write, right? Like get you a writing coach, um, get you an education in bird dogs tradition and, and, and they be minority kid. Um, this, the next scholarship, we're doing a, a male and a female, um, you know, and just basically want to outfit someone and build them up and build a platform, send them up the career pipeline, right. get them career opportunities. You see what I'm you saying? Bet. If we're, if we're going to talk about, you know, bringing people to the table, let's, let's catch them where they're coming in. You weren't, you weren't giving them fish. You were teaching them how to fish. There you go. Yeah. And, and so we have the Corey Rockwell, uh, bird dog and literary conservation policy, uh, scholarship that we gave away lat at the last, uh, festival to, uh, Jared Unger, who is working up under me. Um, incredible mentee um incredible mentor now to someone else yeah um writing got some stuff in trcp basically helping build jared up and build that platform there is it um, is there room go is, is there room I, I hate to interrupt you we're starting to get in a time crunch here a little bit but uh mm -hmm. is there room for houndsmen to get involved with your organization man come on in <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> That's what we want to see, right? Like, come on in. Right. Dude, like, do you know how many 
How many? Like how many I know, more? I know it was an obvious get? question, but I just wanted yeah, to get like, it out you know there. How many we would get if we brought Houndsman in. Like we are giving away ten thousand dollars and want to build. Like I said, minority kid, male, female. I don't care. We want to build someone into the community of outdoorsmen mm -hmm. that you and I exist in, and make like influential people. Yeah, come on in. You ain't got to have a bird dog. Come on in. It's all good. I'm gonna make you want a bird dog anyway. <laughs> we're gonna make you want to get another get another hound. Is what we're gonna do. Look, yeah, I had I, I like I said that first one. I didn't know what I was doing. Cut corners, right? And I ended up having to rehome a dog, and like that, I think that's pretty traumatic on a dog. I mean, he's probably fine now, but yeah. you know, what I'm saying like that moving. I didn't know any better. That'd be like me going and getting a pointer and thinking I was going to train a pointer. Darrell, seriously, yeah, like, I mean, uh, you know, I can read some books and I can, but I'm not going to be able to. I really liked what you said. You said some keywords early on. We have talked about mentors. We have set up a mentoring program on our social media sites uh, to, to try to get people who truly want to learn. Uh, one of mm -hmm. our one of our staff, Lauren Branny, uh, got into this thing late in life and she found a mentor that, that brought her along. I mean, this guy was, this guy. I've listened to Lauren here. Absolutely. She's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, uh, man, I, you just said a lot of good stuff up front and, um, <laughs> stuff we're, we're saying, we're singing from the same, same choir book here, man. I'm telling you. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, Darrell, I, we got to get, get together again. We got to talk again. Yeah. Um, yep. and you got to come up and coon hunt. I'm going to, I'm going to, we'll talk off air. I'm going to, I'm going to put a bug in your ear, but I'm going to come down and okay. I'm going to come down and hunt quail Georgia style. Come down here a couple of days. Come on down here a couple of days. You bet. I got you. You bet. Yeah. yeah. All right. And man. thank you for having me on here, man. Hey. All right, wrap it up. Wrap it up here. Well, you got what's the final thing you want to say to the Houndsman XP crowd? Follow your dog, man. <laughs> sounds familiar. Follow your dog. Sounds familiar. <laughs> sounds familiar. I'll tell I you. figured you would kiss my way. Now, Darrell, I think I think uh conversations like this, exposing our our audience to you and like we did last week, exposing your audience to me gives us a wide foundation to be able to stand up for what we, what we do and what we believe in and, and, uh, share our passions in hunting and preserve, protect, and promote this, this yep. lifestyle that we lead. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not a hobby. It's not a sport. It's a lifestyle. When you, when you have to care for a dog, you have to train a dog, you have to hunt a dog. It's a 365 day a year commitment and it has mm -hmm. got to be a lifestyle if you're going to be successful. And, Absolutely. and I appreciate your time and willingness to share your passions because you're living it, but you're living it, man. Hey man, thank you so much for, for just supporting you know, supporting me, I'm a big fan of the Houndsman XP podcast. Um, and again, I'm I'm just glad to know that we are on a unified front, my friend. You bet. You bet. Yes. All right. We'll close it out. Yep. 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 All right. Well, guys, follow your dog. What is it? Uh, 
what's the famous saying that y'all got, man? What is it? You follow your dog and I'll follow mine. You're close. You, oh, we can say dog. Hey, we can say dogs. We'll say it's you, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine. You you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine. There, there we go. All right. All right. <laughs> there you have it, folks. I told you Darrell Smith was cool. What a great opportunity we have when we go out there and we look for people that can help us share the message of hunting and the quality of the experience when we involve a well-trained dog. I hope you saw the value. I hope you liked this podcast. If you did, make sure you go over to the Apple podcast platform and push that subscribe button. Leave us a review, just a line or two. Tell us that you're out there, you're listening, where you're listening from. It's all good, man. We want your feedback on how we're doing over here on the Houndsman XP podcast. And check out our sponsor, Dogs Are Treed. We're talking about the highest quality gear in the industry, bar none. Once you get one of these leashes in your hand or you buy one of their premium tieouts, your mind will be made up that Dogs Are Treed knows what quality is. Also, check out their branded products such as Paws Are Protected or Dogs Are Hydrated. Whether you're running a bird dog or a hound or a side hound, you got to keep feet under them and you got to keep them hydrated. So check out Dogs Are Treed at dogsartreed.com and at checkout, enter the promo code HXP20% off. And guess what? You get 20% off of your entire order. We're also dropping our new Houndsman XP hats over there right now. So check it out.